Well, this morning, we're going to take a, a small deviation from our study in 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the beginning part of that this morning. And the question I have for you for a moment is, when was the last time you suffered? Are you suffering currently? And what are your attitudes about suffering, if you think about it for a minute? What are the things that go through your heart and your mind as you suffer? If you think about that, then what are your expectations for God? What do you think about your suffering in relationship to a good and faithful God? It's easy at times to wonder where God's at during times of suffering. Now, the gospel that we speak of, that we teach, that we believe that Scripture reveals is a gospel that's centered on the laying down of our lives for the sake of Jesus. This is different than the gospel that you'll often hear proclaimed, often on TV, but even throughout churches that we see not just here in America, but throughout the world. A gospel that says, come to Jesus and it will be better. A gospel that says, God wants you to have a big house and a nice car. A gospel that really presents Jesus as a genie in a bottle. If you just have enough faith, whatever is good in this life will be granted to you. The problem with that is that's never a picture of what we have in Scripture. We have a picture of apostles leaving their hometowns, going throughout the nation, traveling, proclaiming the word, and being persecuted where they go. We have a picture of Stephen in Acts 7 being stoned to death simply for proclaiming Christ as the Savior and calling sin, sin. We know that Paul repeatedly in Acts is near death multiple times. Peter himself will be persecuted. and Each one of the, the 12 apostles will die a martyr's death with the exception of John. And everybody goes, ah, man, John got away with it. He got it easy. No, John was sent to the island of Patmos for a year by himself. Think about the worst imaginal isolation you've ever had. That's it. No one else. Now, for an introvert like me, it sounds good. But the truth is, I got to tell you, during those lockdown days, I, about five days, I'm done. Like, I thought it was good, thought that's what I needed, and done. What we don't have a picture of is Individuals who are faithfully following Christ that are necessarily living comfortable in this world because they're not at home. And as followers of Christ, we're not at home. And so when we think about suffering, do we think of it in context to something that we just want to stand back and avoid? 
Or do we see that through suffering, God is actually making his glory known to a world desperately that needs it? How do you see your purpose in this county? Do you see your purpose in the county here as one who has been planted here to bring the gospel, to reveal God's glory? Or do you see yourself as just passing through, seeking something better? The better is always found in Jesus. Scripture teaches us and shows us that the better is not a location, but the better is a person. And our contentment is to be found in Him. And our comfort is to be found in Him. So let's dive into this together. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 here, verses 3 through 11. And I think it ties nicely with where we've been in Thessalonians. Last week we focused on the importance of standing firm in our faith. Next week we'll be looking and going into the chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians and looking at the importance of prayer together. But I think this bridges nicely for us this morning. So let's stand as we read this together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And this is what it says. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good and gracious God. Take these words and implant them on our heart today. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So suffering then allows God's glory to be revealed to us through Christ's comfort. That's the simplicity of this passage. Suffering allows God's glory to be revealed to us through Christ's comfort. Suffering allows God's glory to be revealed to us and to others through Christ's comfort. So it is that the glory of God is revealed in Christ's comfort. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's driving home. Now, seldom as we're experiencing suffer do we consider them purposeful, much less a blessing, right? When you're walking through suffering, you usually don't look over your shoulder and go, man, this is wonderful, right? 
The idea of it being purposeful can be understood from time to time, right? You go in, you have an operation, the suffering there, like, okay, I'll deal with it, makes me better, I'll go and walk through that. We seldom count suffering, though, as purposeful, I mean, as a blessing. That suffering itself actually is a blessing. See, sometimes suffering is the consequence of our sin, the natural outworking of choices which have gone against Christ and His will for our lives. We can also view suffering through the lens of punishment of God, through His discipline on our lives, designed to turn us towards Him. But what if our suffering actually is not a result of the outworking of sin in our life or of God's discipline driving us towards Him? What if His suffering actually is in the midst of walking in righteousness and faithfulness with Him? See, in a fallen world, God uses suffering to prune us and to reveal His glory. There's a constancy of being pruned back to, to bear fruit. This week I had the opportunity to spend some time with some pastors in a vineyard. That sounds funny to say that. It wasn't like a, an opportunity that was this wine gathering of pastors. <laughs> the way I say that sounds kind of funny. Um, but part of it was learning, seeing, walking in the vineyards and seeing what it really means to abide in the vine. And what was amazing was to watch the vineyard makers and the vineyard managers, the winemakers and vineyard managers, how meticulous each vine was, pruned back. Each vine with the, the same amount of stumps left on each one. The vineyard we walk, nine to be exact. We have a God that is meticulous with us. And he prunes us for his purpose. John 15, 2 says, Every branch in me that does not, excuse me, every branch in me that does bear fruit, he takes, or does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 8 continues, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He concludes by saying in verse 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says that our pruning is actually to produce joy. How many of us are actually truly content? Are, are we content in Christ? Are we con content in the things that Christ has for us in this life? If everything were to be stripped away in your life, the place you lived, the cars you own, the possessions you have, would you still have contentment in those things? Or would your contentment be found in the one who provides contentment? See, suffering prunes us back and it exposes our hearts. We've been planted here in this county to bring the good news of Jesus, to reveal his glory. And it's often in our suffering. 
Because in our suffering, we're to look different than the world. The things that make you angry, do you look like the world? Are you as impassioned and emboldened about the things that take place in our culture? Or are you more passionate about the love of Jesus being demonstrated to those that we disagree with? Those that may be living differently than we live. See, in this passage this morning, Paul's writing this second letter to the Corinthians for a specific purpose. Paul had suffered greatly for the kingdom of God, and yet the Corinthians were actually challenging his apostleship. They were saying, listen, the fact that you're suffering so much, that means you're not of God. On the contrary, that if we are like Christ, we will suffer with Christ. And that we suffer because Christ suffered. We're persecuted because Christ was persecuted. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principality, and this gets lost. It's why Jesus could turn the cheek. It's why Jesus could undergo persecution. It's why Paul could undergo persecution, because he understood that the attack was not from the individual, but from the enemy. And that Paul's purpose And our purpose as followers of Christ is to reveal his glory. You see, the focus of following Christ is not comfort in this life, but rather finding comfort in the one who comforts and making him known during this life. The focus of following Christ is not comfort in this life, but rather finding comfort in the one who comforts, that is Jesus, and making him known during this life. That's what our lives are about. Finding comfort in the comforter and making him known. So suffering then reveals God's glory in a couple of ways. First, God's glory is revealed through our praise of God and sharing with others of Christ's mercies and comfort. Notice what he says here in verse 3. How does Paul begin? Now, I love this. These Christians are actually challenging Paul's apostleship. He's the one that's discipled them. The church has been planted. He goes there, and he still refers to them in the, early, in the letters as saints. Do you notice that his, his call for them is not one of, like, listen, I'm going to prove to you who I am, and I'm going to prove that you are wrong. He actually acknowledges that they are saints of God. He actually addresses them in love and in truth. And he begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What if you're suffering isn't just about you. But what if your suffering is so that you can display the glory of God to others? What if your comfort isn't about you, but it's actually about God using you to be present in another person's life who is suffering? Another believer, another unbeliever, 
What if your prayer of God, use me in this life, use me today for your kingdom, is actually answered in the suffering you're experiencing so that you might comfort those that you never knew with the beauty and glory of the gospel? You see, what he's saying here is this. He's actually saying that we begin in our suffering. The way that God is actually glorified in our suffering is with praise of who he is. Paul doesn't thank God for the circumstance. He thanks him for being a father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the giver of his grace, the, the one who exemplifies, who lives out, who becomes our sacrifice for our sin. And the beauty of that is that he starts with who God is. You see, in our suffering, we can praise God, not because we're going through some difficult circumstances, but because of who he is. That he has sent the one who carries us through those circumstances. That he's a God who is faithful, who sent his son, and he, he kept his promises of bringing a redeemer. One who would bear the weight of all of our sin and all of our shame. And who grants us new life through the resurrection. You see, his goodness is actually revealed through Christ. And the amazing part is it's given to us in all circumstances. Oh, that can be hard, can't it? When he's talking about this, he's not saying there's no pain. He's not saying you're not going to have moments where you go, this stinks, Lord. And you know, Lord, frankly, why couldn't you have made Jordan have this and not me? Or that guy over there, he makes lousy choices, right? Or we can come back and say, God, you're the God of creation, who is the father of Jesus Christ, the father of mercy, mercy exemplified in the person and work of Jesus. Think about that. Every day he gives you his mercy through Jesus and his presence in your life for those who have repented and believed on him for their salvation. Every day. You ever think that every day you wake up next to Jesus? New mercies in the morning? You ever thought that as you wake up that it is Christ who is with you? It's different to think about. That the mercy of God is handed to you each and every day because of Christ's presence in your life. And God didn't ask me to figure out what to do tomorrow. He asked me to deal with today. Because each day has new morning mercies. One commentator put it this way. That God is the God of all comfort, just as he is the God of all grace. There is comfort and grace for every situation. Now notice, 
God has called his church to be present in people's lives. And sometimes we can feel like maybe, God, where are you? You're not showing up. And that person that knocks on the door with a meal is God showing up. That person that calls you when you are hopeless or feeling depressed is God showing up. The person who prays with you is God showing up. It's why it's vital that we are together as the body of Christ. Because it is in the body of Christ that we experience His presence and His mercy. And all we have to do is look to the church to see Christ's presence and work. God desires to use you in others' lives and He desires to use others in your life. To make himself known. David Guzik points out often we never receive the comfort God wants to give us through another person. Pride keeps us from revealing our needs to others, so we never receive the comfort God would give us through them. It's why, as the body of Christ, we were to be transparent and vulnerable with one another. We're to confess sin to one another, pray for one another, as James 5 says. So we might be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It means that when you go through suffering, that you share what God's doing. Right? We can get locked in, can't we, when we're suffering? Just focused on what's going on bad and wrong. But God wants us to actually share what he's doing so that others might be comforted. It's one of the reasons that platitudes don't work. In fact, they're very frustrating. You ever have somebody come to you when you're really hurting and just say to you, well, God will get you through. Well, I know that. The problem is I'm struggling to believe it right now. Right? There's a total disconnect between what we know intellectually to be true from the truth and what our heart is feeling in the moment. But the difference is when a person walks up to you and gives you a scripture. Colossians 1, may you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Whoa. I don't really care what you have to say. But God says may you be strengthened. Yeah. How about the person just sits with you that has no answers? What a freeing thing, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, when you're the one sitting there quietly with them and you're like, I don't know if I should be saying anything or not. Then stay quiet. Stay quiet and pray and be with them and present. But then when given the opportunity, share what God has done, how God has comforted you, how God has delivered you. A lot of times we go through suffering and because we want to so quickly get out of it, we never stop to actually reflect on how God comforted us in the midst of it. We need to reflect on that. We need to see it. We need to see what God's doing in our lives. And just maybe 
God's given you some ailment because he's going to use that for his glory. He's going to work through you to connect with people that nobody else that can connect with. For much of my life, I thought, why wouldn't you want to die in a hospital? They're there, they're caring for you. After being in a hospital for 50 days, let me tell you, I don't want to die there. And I can understand every person who says it. That gives me a unique thing because God comforted me in those moments that I can go with somebody else and say, I get what you're doing and I experience you in this bed and what you must feel like. Some of you have had other experiences and they may be grand or they may be small, but you've suffered and you can walk with others through it. Do it. See, God's purpose in our suffering is not always about us. It's also about his glory. So what is your first reaction to suffering? And how does God comfort you during times of suffering? Have you praised God for his comfort? We need to be asking those questions. Now secondly, the second way that God is glorified is through our perseverance and hope with Christ's comforting purpose. Our perseverance and hope with Christ's comforting purpose. Notice it says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now the word here for suffering is panthema. And panthema is the same word that suffering is used to describe Jesus' suffering. This is a righteous suffering, a suffering where we look back and we go, yeah, actually it's not because of God's discipline on my life, and it's not because of just a natural outworking of a consequence of sin, but rather I'm walking with Christ and I'm experiencing the suffering, and I can be confident that it is for his purpose. God didn't make a mistake. Brian Bell says this, he says, sufferings are not accidents, but divine appointments. In Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, it says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, that is Jesus, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, when we suffer, it actually communicates God's grace through Christ because our hope is not in ourselves or in our circumstances, but it is in Him. When we persevere, it actually brings comfort and strength to those enduring in trials. Ever watch somebody suffer well? All you want to do is share how God has worked through that person. Man, I saw God move in that person's life. I watched it happen. God is good. Yep, it's the Lord calling. (laughs) 
You see, we persevere with hope. See, I think sometimes we persevere, but we persevere for the sake of perseverance. We resent it. We fear it. We run from it. God says that pruning is vital to the fruit of the, of the vine. What does that mean? That means that every year we get pruned back. Every year. That you don't get to say, I've been pruned once, I'm done. Here's the thing. The more we grow, the more it hurts. But the more it hurts, we see the more production of fruit. And as a result of that, we experience his comfort because we see God at work within us. I was walking through Armstrong Woods this week and at the base of these trees, which was fascinating to me, was the area where the fire went through a couple years ago. The small trees have almost no burn scarring on them. It's wacky. The bigger the tree, the larger the burn scar. And you go, well, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, larger tree. No, it was like the big trees caught on fire, but the small ones didn't. And I thought, you know, that's a picture of our lives in Christ. The more mature we become, the larger the burn scar, the more pruning that takes place in our life. The question, and I think for many of us, is we kind of want to be pruned once or twice and say, do we learn everything God wants to teach us? And then like, okay, Lord, you stay there, and I'll stay here, and it all looks good. But if we're pressing into Christ, it's like the prune, the pruner with the shears, right? He's just coming up. Hey, there's more to, more to cut away. There's more to cut away. There's more to deal with here and more over here. And we persevere with hope, knowing that God is working, that his promise is true, that we've seen him work in others' lives, and we've seen the comfort and perseverance that comes, the hope that comes from being pruned by a God who sent Jesus, who is our mercy and our comfort. It produces a steadfastness in our faith as we share in Christ together. You see, in order to actually be that comfort, that example of God's comfort in another person's life, and in order to experience that from others, we have to be in fellowship with one another. It's vital. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you believe that? That this is just light affliction. Do you believe that if you are saved in Christ, that this is the worst it gets? The absolute worst suffering you have in, the, in this life for the believer is the absolute worst it will get. It always gets better. So what suffering or trial is God currently calling you to trust in his comfort through Christ? What, what trial and suffering are you fighting against that God's saying for you to rest in Him? Now notice in verse 8, Paul makes the church here aware of their affliction that they've experienced in Asia. 
so the church might share in their comfort through Christ. So now he gives an example of it. This is awesome. Paul talks about it, and now he gives an example. Verse 8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now notice, he says some key things. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Been there before? Like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, God. I've got nothing left. That we despaired of life itself. I don't know how much I have left, and God, this might kill me. This is not an easy suffering. But Paul continues, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In your suffering, he's teaching you not to rely on yourself. I was climbing some rocks this week. I know it seems kind of funky, but it's true. When I was a kid, you could bound across those rocks, right? Today, it's not bounding. It's gentle, sensitive, am I going to make it kind of running, right? Like, as a kid, you didn't worry about whether you stepped on the point of a rock and whether your body was just going to move you forward, right? Now it's like I step on the corner of that rock, my heel goes out, knee goes out, 250 pounds goes over the side. This is not pretty, right? And Jonathan's coming to rescue me. That's part of the embarrassment of that too, right? Somebody's got to pull me out. Well, we can find ourselves relying on ourselves constantly. But suffering makes us aware of our own mortality and our own need for something and someone greater than us. It teaches us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. I'll be honest in saying that I think I would have experienced far less pain in my life had I learned those lessons sooner. So many of us suffer as we're older. But there is a blessing in suffering when we're young. And that blessing is knowing that we cannot necessarily rely on ourselves, but we have one who we can rely on wholly. See, there is always a design in our distress. God so values our trust in him alone that he will graciously take away everything else in the world that we might be tempted to rely on, even life itself if necessary. His desire is that we grow deeper and stronger in him. And so that first thing that we're taught there then through suffering is a reliance on God and his power rather than ourselves. A reliance on God and his power rather than ourselves. Secondly, we're taught that God is our soul, S-O-L-E, meaning only, and soul, meaning 
the soul of our lives, deliverer. God is our soul deliverer. He says he will deliver us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We've set our hope that he will deliver us again. This is the gospel. The work of the gospel that he has justified us. He saved us from the penalty of sin. That he's sanctifying us. He's saving us from the power of sin currently. And then the glorification that we'll have with him because he will save us in eternal freedom from sin with Christ. So he's justified us. He's sanctified us. He's glorified us. He saved us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us from the power of sin. And he will save us in eternal freedom from sin with Christ. He's our only deliverer. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. God's faithful. God is faithful. Some of you may not know that after I went through this period in 2015 where I had an open heart surgery and had this fungal infection that had kind of ravaged my body, in April, miraculously, this fungus went away. And some of you remember that season. We were rejoicing over it being gone. And I was. I looked out and I was grateful to see how God had done this miracle. And I wanted that miracle to sustain. I had doctors that were calling and saying, we've never seen this before. Guys looking up in medical journals that there was like one other case where this may have happened in the Philippines 20 years ago. And everybody wanted to talk about it. And on July 15th, I was asked to to do a radio interview about how God had healed me of this. And I got into this interview, and they asked me, "What, what advice would you have for the person going through this kind of suffering? And I remember sitting in the radio interview, and I'm like, I can think of all the things about God. I can tell you that God is good and he's faithful and great. But I think what you're asking is kind of this programmatic kind of thing. That if you just have enough faith and if you just pray enough and you have 10,000 people praying for you, that it's enough. And I remember walking out of this interview going, I got to be honest, I didn't really have anything to offer here. I could offer hope during the time of trial, but now that this healing had taken place to the person that was still in the midst of it, that was not experiencing this kind of healing, I didn't have much. And it was pronounced. I drove home and I remember thinking, God, you are a miraculous God. And I'm so grateful you did this to me. But how does this help inform others who are still in the midst of it? That night at 2 a.m. in the morning, I get a phone call. Hey, pathology came back. It's fully back. And I remember those days that followed 
where God just kept putting on my heart, be still and know that I'm God. And in praying through it, going, God, I just need some wisdom and understanding how you've carried me through this. And I remember lying in that stillness and the Lord pointing back to a prayer that I started praying in September of 2014. God, help me understand your glory in a way that I just don't seem to be able to grab now. What I found in that experience was God used those times and even what happened afterwards to continue to allow me to comfort people in those situations. Now, I'll tell you personally, I would love for that miracle have to be enduring. I would love to have never gone through the next whatever it took, years of, of recovery of that process of going through that. But I will tell you that there is something different about enduring through it in the hope that Christ is our deliverer. And knowing that because he's our deliverer, our sole deliverer, that we have the opportunity to rejoice not because of the circumstances, but because of his ongoing work and seeing the opportunity that he grants through it. Christian Weatherall of the Gospel Coalition says this, according to the Lord, suffering is precisely the opposite of how we often interpret it. It is evidence that God, in his tender love, has saved and is changing us by his wise sovereignty to be glorified with Christ if we realized this love in our day-to-day lives, if we viewed all our suffering through this lens, it would change everything. Suffering might become the impetus for rejoicing among God's children. Wow. Now, let me say this. Don't walk up to somebody who's in the middle of suffering and say, hey, God's pruning you, and you're going to be better on the backside of this. Right? Right? For some, that might get a punch to the face or just a middle finger as they walk away, right? The truth is, is that God calls us to lovingly suffer with others because we get a chance to express his comfort. Don't use the middle finger, by the way. Punching's okay. Punching's okay. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that, Kellen. (laughs) Punching in the middle finger are off limits, yes. Finally, suffering teaches us first a reliance on God and his power rather than ourselves. It teaches us that God is our sole deliverer. And finally, it teaches us that prayer matters. It teaches us that prayer matters. Notice Paul's plea to them. He said, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer produces thanksgiving. It it draws us into communion with God, and God has invited us to be a part of that process. And one of the ways that we are part of that process is through prayer. The Greek word here for many actually refers to faces. It implies the idea of this upward turned face. He's speaking about the multitude seeking God together on behalf of this one thing. We may not always understand how prayer works, but we do know that God calls it to us. We do know that Paul is 
calling the people to it. And we do know that it matters. That it is a part of accomplishing God's work. Warren Wiersbe says, helping together probably refers to their cooperation in the work of intercession with other churches rather than the apostle himself. The design of God is thus uniting his people in praying for each other when affliction or a danger occurs. That the deliverance may be a matter of common gratulation and praise. Thus, all hearts are drawn out to God and Christian fellowship is promoted. We pray together seeking the same things on behalf of the Lord. We come together in that communion. And so suffering teaches us that prayer matters. You ever find that in your suffering, the only thing you have is to pray? In the stillness of your voice, the only desperation that comes out? You ever notice that suffering focuses your prayer? I don't know about you guys, but for me, praying can be one of those things where it's like, Lord, I'm not even sure where to start today. There's a lot on this list. I mean, that's just my life, let alone everything else. Ever notice that in suffering, your prayer gets very focused? It's you and God. And the priority rises to the top. So, who can you be specifically praying for that is experiencing and suffering trial right now? How can you be specifically praying for them? And have you asked others to be praying for you? You see, prayer matters. And my hope for us this morning is that we see that the comfort of God is found in Christ. And Christ is seen and revealed through his church. May we be a people this morning who suffer well in his comfort. Seeing that God has uniquely planted us here so that his glory might be seen and known. So that we might come to a place where we trust that our reliance is not on ourself, but is solely on him. That prayer matters. That praying together matters. May we be a church comforted in Christ, humble and seeking him, and seeking his face on behalf of one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness that you display through your grace. Thank you for the comfort in the midst of trials. Thank you for the blessing of trials. God, we acknowledge that we desire to run from them as far as we can. And yet, God, we see that your word points us to this truth that as we grow in you, you will continue to prune. God, sometimes we fail to see what you're doing. But God, may our eyes be reoriented. May they see that you work through your church and that God, that you desire to work through us so your glory is made known to a world in desperate need of you. 
God, take this morning, take your word, and make us into sufferers like you who are comforted by you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.